We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. It's the day after Reformation Day, and here's the question. Are Christians being intolerant when we stand for the sola fide, the sola gratia, the sola Christo, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, the exclusivity of the faith? When we say we believe that Christ is the only way, are we being intolerant? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. Today's topic is tolerance. You could look at it on the negative side and suggest that the topic is intolerance. What do these words mean? What does tolerance and intolerance mean in our culture today? How do we define these terms and how do we use these in the market square of ideas? in the political debate or the debate over social issues or moral issues, uh, community ordinances, how we're going to behave with one another. Is tolerance and intolerance properly understood as we use those words in our contemporary culture? And I want to talk about tolerance and intolerance within the context of Christianity. Uh, More specifically, Reformation Day, the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door some 505 years ago. Arguably, it changed the world. It changed the discussion as to what the priorities of the Christian faith are, the non-negotiables of Christianity. Um, This is a very important discussion for Christians, but it's also an important discussion for those that are on the sidelines watching, because all of this impacts our culture. Because Reformation Day stands for the four alones, if you will. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, the Bible alone. These are the, these are the solas, the various different statements within the Reformation that Luther emphasized, saying we stand exclusively on these things. These truths stand alone. These truths are true. We hold these truths. Now, you didn't say it this way, but we hold these truths to be self-evident. They're given to us by God, that by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, we come into the kingdom of God. And we know these things through the Bible, the exclusivity of the Bible. So I want to talk about tolerance today. I want to talk about it within the context of the Reformation. Sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christo. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. And while we talk about these exclusive statements, because when you say something is alone, you're excluding it from things that are outside of it, right? So the alone statements, the sola statements, are exclusive statements. Christ alone is an exclusive statement. Is Christianity exclusive? And does that exclusivity imply that it is intolerant? That's the question. And what does intolerance mean in today's culture? And are those that 
point the finger at Christians, the finger of accusation at you and I for being intolerant, are they models of tolerance themselves when they do so? I want you to think about these things. You can think about it in the context of a debate that's going on in your town square right now. For example, I've covered Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and the drag queen performance in the public park. Those people that disagree with my criticism of that particular performance in a public park are accusing me of being intolerant, trying to impose my religion on everybody else. Does their claim hold water? Is it logical? Is it coherent? Does it make any sense? That's today's discussion. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So context here. If you haven't listened to this show in the last week or so, you've missed the fact that I've been highlighting a drag queen performance in the public park here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And I've been disappointed in the way our city council and local leadership have addressed this. It's a public park, and therefore it's open to the public at all times. To my knowledge, these parks are never closed down. Nobody is ever told that they can't enter those parks. Even if there's a, a private party in one corner of the park, your children can ride their bicycle through the park. They can go play ball in the park. They can throw a frisbee in the park. They can ride through the park as they're going from your house to maybe a friend's house on the other side of town. It's a public park, and therefore I would think that we would want to have it safe for children, for the public. We wouldn't want to do things that would compromise the safety, the security, our feeling that our community is doing things appropriate for our kids or inappropriate for our kids. We wouldn't want to we wouldn't want our kids to be exposed to inappropriate things in a public park, right? So I have said that drag queen performances in public parks in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, or any place else in the United States for that matter, should not take place. It's a public park. If you want to do that kind of stuff, then take it behind closed doors. Do it privately, but don't impose those private inclinations, proclivities, appetites, habits on the rest of us out in the public. 
have at it if that's what you get off on. If that's what you enjoy. If you get your jollies out of drag queen stuff, then have at it behind closed doors. But the rest of us shouldn't have to endure it in public spaces, whether it be your sidewalk, your street, or the local playground, public park in your community. Now, to me, and a lot of other people, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, Is it intolerant to hold that position? Well, one friend here in Bartlesville challenged me and said that I was trying to impose my way of living, my views, my religion, on everybody else, that I have the right to believe what I want to believe. We can disagree on that, but tolerance would demand that I be quiet when my views start being imposed on other people and the way they can live. In other words, I'm trying to impose my view on drag queens and those that enjoy these performances. I'm trying to impose my view views on others, and thereby I'm being intolerant. Now here's the question, however. When someone says that to you, when they say you're being intolerant and I'm not going to tolerate your intolerance, aren't they being intolerant at the same time they're accusing you of the same sin? In other words, as I've said many times on this show, when we point one finger of accusation outward, we need to recognize that often we have three pointed back at ourselves, and that is the case in the tolerance agenda today. This man is saying, well, you're imposing your way of living on us while he is bringing his proclivities, desires, appetites, pleasures into the public parks and forcing all of the rest of us in the community who drive by that park, walk through that park, play ball in that park, throw a frisbee in that park, picnic in that park, is forcing that behavior, that agenda on us, on the public. So how is it that I'm the intolerant one here? How is it that I'm the one that is imposing my ideology, my views, my values, my, quote, religion on everybody else when it's this man's agenda and all that he is aligned with that is bringing their views, their behaviors, their celebrations, their religion, a way of life into our public spaces? As I've said a hundred times over and over again on the show, if you want to keep us out of your bedroom, then shut the door. Don't bring your private behavior out into the public and then accuse us of being the one that are compromising your privacy. The ones that are compromising your privacy. No. If you're going to open the door, and surely when you bring your behavior into a public park, you have metaphorically opened that door. If you want us to stay out of your bedroom, shut the door. Don't force us to stand there and applaud. If you shut the door, we don't know. And many of us don't care. We believe that you have the right to do what you want to do. We're not saying it should be illegal. But we are saying that we disagree with it. We think it's wrong. We think it's immoral. We don't think our children should have to be exposed to it in public spaces. So please stop opening the door. But that is perceived as intolerance. I'm the intolerant one for saying that. All right, another example. My article for the Washington Times this week, I actually covered it in yesterday's show, where I argued that a Christian Democrat is an oxymoron today, that there are no longer any Christian Democrats. That's a pretty aggressive claim, right? Well, the reason I said that is because I agree with Matt Walsh in what he tweeted last week where he said the Democrat closing argument right now is frankly irrefutable. And that is that 
we should be able to castrate your sons, mutilate your daughters, abort your children, and we should be able to pump porn into your public schools. That's what we believe. Those are some of our highest values. Abortion on demand, pornography in our schools under the banner of social-emotional learning, and we believe in the transgender ideology and agenda where we can take minors and remove functioning body parts from them because they want us to. They tell us that that's okay. That's what they want to be. An 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old can be mutilated surgically under our banner. We're going to celebrate it. And I said yesterday, that's not Christian. That's just not the way Christians believe or behave. And to affirm that party, vote for that party, wave the banner for any political party that supports those things is antithetical to the gospel and the teachings of Christ. I said that Jesus himself instructed us. He said that it would be better for us to have a millstone tied around our neck and cast into the sea and drowned as opposed to causing one of these little ones to stumble. In other words, we're cursed. It'd be better for us, better for us, to have a millstone tied around our neck and drowned than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So I'm not too sure what it will be that we will suffer, but it would be better if we were drowned in the depths of the sea. Pretty aggressive statement. Pretty exclusive statement, right? Doesn't sound like Jesus is being all that tolerant of any agenda that compromises the heart, mind, and soul of children. So, the day after Reformation Day, the day where we're celebrating the sola statements of the Reformation, the alone statements of the Reformation, the exclusive statements of the Reformation, the exclusivity of the Christian faith, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, Christ alone. Christ alone is the only way to God, the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven. We make that claim. That is Christianity, folks. It's an exclusive claim. Anybody else that says that there are several paths leading up to the summit of the mountain, and it doesn't matter which path you take, whether it's Allah, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Baha'i, whether it's Muhammad, or whether it's Christ. If anybody's making that claim, that's not Christian, because Jesus himself made several exclusive claims about himself. So did Peter, so did Paul, so did Jude, so did James. The apostles, the saints of the church, the first century church, followed on those exclusive claims of Christ by reaffirming them when they defined Christianity for the early church, where they defined what Jesus meant when he said we would be the body of Christ, we would be his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against us. Is it arrogant? Is it extreme? Is it intolerant to hold on to these solas, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone? Are we the ones, the only ones, that are making such exclusive claims? Is our confidence in these solas, in these alone statements, in these exclusive statements, in the clarity of the gospel and the clarity of the Christian faith, faith. Is our confidence in that somehow misguided or misplaced? So here's the thing. When you respond to people who accuse you of being intolerant, and I've said it before on the show, my first reaction is, 
well, can you tolerate my intolerance? Or do you find me intolerable? Do you see what I'm doing here? I'm asking them a question that exposes their duplicity, their lack of consistency. They're not being logical. They're not being consistent. Their worldview, their way of argument doesn't hold water. It's like saying, I know that nothing can be known. Or I'm sure that nothing is sure. Or I'm certain that there is no certainty. And I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. It's true that nothing is true. See, that's the way these people are arguing when they point at you and say, well, you're being intolerant. But the very accusation itself betrays the fact that they disagree with you. They disagree with me. And disagreement is somewhat antithetical to their definition of tolerance, not mine. Tolerance used to mean that, well, I disagree with you. I, in fact, I think you're wrong, but I'm not going to persecute you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to harm you. We'll just have a good debate in the public square or in the classroom or in the church. Disagreement is the seed of debate. It is the seed of pursuing truth. We'll argue together. We'll debate with one another with the ultimate goal of finding what's true because truth Truth, with a capital T, will serve as the referee of this dispute. You have to have boundaries to play the game. You have to have definition. Otherwise, the disagreement doesn't matter. If you're just going to claim that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you, and if you're going to claim that that view, that worldview, is true, then you just saw it off the branch upon which you're sitting. Because it does matter what you believe in your mind. Because if I disagree with you, you won't tolerate that disagreement because you consider it to be intolerable. This is the dog chasing its tail of my friend in Bartlesville who's saying, but you're imposing your way of living on all of the rest of us while he imposes his way of living in the public park and everybody driving by on the streets or walking through this public space has to endure has to be exposed, has to celebrate his way of living, his joys, his passions, like I said, his proclivities, his appetites, the things that he believes to be fun and enjoyable. Okay, so his intolerance of those who won't tolerate the drag queen performances, people such as me, his intolerance of me and his intolerance of others that would agree with me as opposed to him betrays the fact that he has no moral high ground to stand on when it comes to this debate of tolerance. He can't claim that I'm imposing my worldview on everybody else while he turns around and imposes his world on me and everybody else in this public space. His, his worldview collapses. His argument has no veracity. It's duplicitous. It's circular. It's self-refuting. I mean, everybody, everybody has something that they won't tolerate. And he has demonstrated that he, he can't tolerate, doesn't want to tolerate conservatives, conservative Christians, or conservatives who aren't Christian who believe that this kind of stuff is inappropriate in public spaces. He finds that unacceptable. He disagrees, and he has the right to disagree. But he doesn't have any logical basis for that disagreement if he's going to turn around and say, he's right and I'm wrong. And then say, I really can't tolerate those people that think they're right all the time. While he claims his righteousness and that his argument is superior to yours and mine. So 
like I said, everybody has something they don't tolerate. His his intolerance is is highlighted by the fact of his disagreement with the conservatives who don't want this stuff out there in public. Well, let's take it to an extreme. Everyone would concede that there should be a limit, for example, to what Hitler did. Do we want to tolerate Hitler? Or how about Stalin? Is he tolerable in what he did? The Russian famine? Hitler? The Holocaust? Are we going to tolerate that stuff? Really, you're going to argue radical tolerance when it comes to these despots, these evil men and what they did in murdering millions. How about Pol Pot, the Cultural Revolution? Are we going to tolerate that? Do you find that to be morally neutral? Well, of course you don't. And anybody who would argue differently is either a blatant liar or corrupted in mind and soul. Um, So everybody accepts that some things are right and some things are wrong. And even if somebody did argue the extreme and say, well, it doesn't matter what Hitler did, you know, whatever works for him, and likewise Stalin and Pol Pot, if you really want to go there because you're being stubborn and you're going to argue for this radical nihilism in, in an open debate, then you're still claiming that I'm wrong and you're right in defending Hitler. You're right in defending him and I'm wrong for challenging him. You're arguing a superior worldview. Yours, in defense of Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot, is a superior worldview to mine when I say, no, those guys were wrong. What they did was evil, and it was harmful. It was harmful, and it was a morally repugnant thing. So when people hold different views, different religious views, uh, replace the word religion with morality. When people hold different moral views, right? people will say, well, religion has no place in the public square, in politics. Uh, keep your religion out of the public parks, Piper, and let us have our fun and our drag queen performances. Um, take the word religion out of it and just put morality in. When people hold different moral views, all right, one moral view versus another moral view, one social view versus another social view, one way to behave versus another way to behave, when people hold different views, uh, they're, they're obviously arguing for the superiority of their view. Otherwise, they wouldn't hold it. If you're just shrugging your shoulders and you don't care, then nothing I've said in this show should bother you. You should just walk away. Don't refute it. Don't get angry about it. Don't be indignant. Don't disagree. Because if it doesn't matter, You shouldn't waste one ounce of energy or time caring two hoots about anything I've said thus far. But if you do, if you do care about what I've said and you disagree, then you've proven my point. Because your disagreement is synonymous with intolerance. And that's not necessarily bad. It's not bad to find some things intolerable. Hitler was intolerable. Pol Pot was intolerable. Antebellum slavery is not something that we wanted to celebrate or should today. We should not find any of these things tolerable. Your intolerance is actually a good thing. It's a moral virtue. It's a positive thing to find all of these repugnant things intolerable. And to claim otherwise would be foolish. And everybody who has an ounce of common sense or an ounce of morality left in their mind and soul would understand what I'm saying. So we've defined tolerance wrongly in our culture today. In post-modernity, we actually say that it's true that there's nothing that's true. 
that I know that nothing can be known. I'm absolutely confident there are no absolutes. I'm sure that nothing is sure, and it's certain that there are no certainties. We actually say these things in post-modernity. We're like dogs running around chasing our tails. And like I've said before on the show, it'd be funny if it weren't so sad, but I've had to endure these arguments for decades in the academy by smart people who think that they can actually saw off the branch upon which they sit and stay stay uh, suspended in midair, I guess, when the branch comes tumbling down. They don't think they're going to fall. Well, that's crazy talk. It's not going to work that way. So opinions, opinions are somewhat synonymous with disputes. If you have an opinion and I have an opinion and those two opinions differ from one another, then the way we resolve that is through open debate, the defense of, the advocacy of, your view versus mine, mine versus you. It's called a good, robust argument. This is what education used to be. If we differ in our opinions, we recognize that if they're contradictory, if they're mutually exclusive, then one of us is right and the other one is wrong. And that's why we have energy when we come into the discussion and come into the debate. So we get to the exclusive claims of Christianity, the solas, sola vida, sola gratia, sola Cristo, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. So let's just wrap up the show by focusing on the last one, Christ alone. Do all roads lead to God? Hmm? Is Christianity just one of those roads? Well, who defines Christianity? Do you? Do I? Do we have the right to define Christianity? No. It's defined by someone else other than us. And you could argue that maybe the person that defines Christianity is Christ. It, after all, is Christianity, Christianity. It is the worldview of Christ and those who follow him. Christ defined himself in the Gospels. We have record of that. And then the, the saints, the apostles thereafter, helped the early church understand what the teachings of Christ actually meant to how they should live their lives, how they should engage in culture and with each other. So there are some pretty exclusive claims that Jesus himself made. Here are a few of them, okay? I want you to listen to these. I'm not making it up. I'm not the one who's making blanket statements, exclusive statements, intolerant statements. Yes, they are intolerant because they don't tolerate any deviancy. I mean, these things are solas, alone statements, exclusive statements. For example, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He didn't say a way or a truth or a life. He said the, exclusive, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty exclusive and clear statement, isn't it? How about Acts 4? 12, where we're told there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else, no other way, no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Again, an exclusive statement. Or how about Paul, where he's writing to the Corinthian church? In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds they blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Pretty radical statement. How about John, the Gospel of John again, chapter 3, 
Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not believe and does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Pretty exclusive. And then John 17, here's another one. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. This is Jesus talking. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Again, an exclusive claim. And then Paul wraps it up in his epistle, his letter to Timothy. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. One God, one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. Is Christianity exclusive? Yes. Is it intolerant in the sense that it recognizes that you have to exclude lies if you want to pursue the truth? Yes. And that's not a bad thing. Because all of us, regardless of whether you're an atheist or an Anglican, or an agnostic, or an Anabaptist. All of us believe in our worldviews being right and others being wrong. That's the nature of being a thoughtful human being. So I want you to think about that when you answer this question of tolerance, exclusivity, and think about the soulless. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.